Um, all right. This morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles. Hopefully, it's going to be up there as well. Look at this. That gene is good right there. All right, so let's talk about what's going on in the church year. Okay, on Thursday, we had the ascension. Let me remind you that the ascension is the midway point of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. It is where he has completed his earthly mysteries, namely his holy incarnation that God became man. The eternal word or the eternal son is a second person of the Trinity, and there was never a time when the son was not. But Jesus came into existence when the eternal son was conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. So the divinity, the divine person, nature, character of Jesus is eternal. But he did take upon himself 2,000 years ago human flesh. So that's the mystery of how it is that an infinite God could be the one who spoke and created 600 plus million galaxies and still humble himself and become a human being like you and myself. So, pretty amazing. So that's the mystery. The mystery of, uh, so he took our nature in his uh, uh, incarnation. Then there is the mystery of his baptism. Jesus was baptized for the repentance of the forgiveness of, uh, re, uh, in re, uh, seeking repentance, uh, to repent for their sins, seeking salvation. But it hadn't been offered yet because Jesus didn't die. So Jesus joined our team. In his baptism, he said, I am joining the team. I'm joining the condition, the situation of all those who sincerely repent of their sins and are longing for a Savior. Jesus joined our team, our cause, in his baptism. Then, of course, there is his life, ministry, suffering, and especially his sacrificial death on the cross where he dealt with our sins. Uh, he is death, burial, his resurrection, where death could no longer constrain him and the principle of life in him then was extended into all the capacity was for everybody to be able to be connected to him by faith in his resurrection. The first one, the firstborn, the preeminent one from the dead. And then in his ascension, he took his glorified human nature. And for the first time of all of history, human flesh was brought into the holy of holies in heaven. And so the prerogatives and benefits of our salvation, namely that because Jesus joined our humanity and was baptized, dead and buried for us, raised from the dead, he took then and transformed humanity, but then he took that glorified humanity up into heaven, which means because he went there, we get to go also. All those who love him and believe in him and trust in him, all those people. So it means in the meantime... That because he took our humanity then, then the Holy Spirit became our deposit and descended into the hearts and lives of everybody who loves and serves Jesus. We could not have had the Holy Spirit descend if he had not ascended. Meaning there's something about Jesus taking our humanity as our head and representative into the Holy of Holies that allowed for, in the equation of the universe, for the Holy Spirit to be enabled to rest and live and dwell within us. Amazing, these things. So, then in 10 days later, there's Pentecost, and that's when we're celebrating, of course, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but when I look at this messed up world and my own uh, difficulties and struggles 
with sin and temptation and all kinds of things. I think, Lord, I need more of your Holy Spirit. I mean, I do pray, come back quickly. Lord, come quickly. The Spirit and the bride say, come. But if you're not going to come back tomorrow, please, I need a lot more of your Holy Spirit. So this is that season in which we sort of replay these, the life of Christ, and we, as the people of God, ask to, to sort of be brought up into this ongoing cycle of our worship and the scriptural teaching. And so next Sunday, we're praying for the Holy Spirit to come. So I want to talk this morning, because have you ever got the warning? You know, get the microwave, you get the warning. You're like, don't put the metal fork in the microwave. It won't go well for you. Or maybe if you pull up at the gas station and it's, you see the, the gas thing with the green, you know, don't put the diesel in the lead, you know, don't, you know, and there's all these warnings. Well, I had a warning, one of the, one of the first warnings, well, I had some warnings, got some spankings early, I guess, if you want to say. But I had one of the, the most exciting warnings that, remi- uh, that reminds me of this day and, and praying for this week, praying for more of the Holy Spirit. I remember when I was 12 years old. When I was 12 years old is when I knew I was becoming a young man. Uh, and, and I didn't have a bar mitzvah, but as the hillbillies do, when you're 12, I mean, I had shotguns before, but when I was 12, I got my own first gun. Today, we wouldn't dare trust a child with a gun before they were 30. But when I was a kid, when I was a kid, I say that just because I see some young men here look at their parents, just making sure here, keeping everybody safe. So, I mean, my father went and found me a 16-gauge, which is not as much of a kick as a 12-gauge, which is very common, and 20-gauge is common, but a 16-gauge is kind of an off, unusual gauge. And he had a full choke on that thing. And it was a turkey gun, because where I'm from, we hunted squirrels and turkeys, but we didn't do much, there was no dove and all these other things. So, so a turkey gun is all we need, a full choke. And, and I got that gun. Literally, I slept with that gun for about two years. Now, Father Larry said that that kind of creeped him out earlier uh, to hear that. I, I, I don't know what to tell you. I got lots of issues. But when I say that I slept with that gun, I mean it was in my bed. If I was at home, I slept with that gun for at least two years. Easy. And uh, Susie was not my first love, but we're not going there tonight. There we go. All right. So anyway, so there I am. But my father, with this great, incredible thing, my father had to have a different kind of talk with me. Now, I had a you don't want to do that because I'm going to tan your high kind of talk. I had some talks before. But this was a very exciting, and it was like, okay, now with this gun, then there's these very careful rules. And there was all kinds of rules about the bullets, about da, 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 da. And, there was, and, and he didn't seem to mind. He didn't tell me I couldn't sleep with the gun, and he knew I sleep with the gun. But I mean, I had all these different rules, and we had a very big talk. And I can tell you, I don't believe I ever broke any rule that my father told me, even when my father wasn't home. It was a very, it was a talk of a talk to a man, meaning he was calling me into something, uh, and, and I respected that, and I realized with the joy of this wonderful thing, which is what, it still hurt when I shot it, actually, it was still a pretty good kick, but, but I mean, with the joy of being a gun owner in my mind, I mean, that was like the coolest thing, it came some, the privileges came with some responsibility. So this is kind of what's happening this morning, that Jesus is telling us in the gospel Hey, by the way, he's told them about the organic relationship of a vine and the branches and how we're tied to Jesus. And, and then he went on and he talks about how the good shepherd protects and, and, and the gospel in, in the chapter of John, uh, verses uh, 13 and 14. That, got that text that we read earlier, and, and there's all these things. But he says, but by the way, 
When the Spirit comes, He's going to give you the power, but you know my truth and you're going to witness to it. And when you combine the fact that you know my word and now the Holy Spirit's going to come with you, it's going to be incredible because you're going to get to share my story and it's going to have power and things are going to change. But by the way, just so you know, by warning, some people, when they hear the word of God and they hear about my salvation, they're not going to love you, they're going to reject you. In fact, they're not just going to reject you, he says, as we read earlier, Larry read earlier, some of them will put you out of the synagogue, meaning they will ban you. There was a, there was a way to be disciplined out of, the, out of the synagogue, but then there was to be banned, which meant complete no contact. They will ostracize you, they will hurt your business, they won't marry your sisters or your cousins. I mean, to be banned was a massive thing of shame and reproach upon a person and their family when it incurred. And they're going to do that thinking that they're doing good and that you're evil just because you're living for me and being empowered by the Spirit of God in the message and witness uh, of Jesus. Because of that, you're going to have all kinds of trouble. So this is what Jesus says, that with this great privilege, by the way, don't be surprised. I mean, don't be surprised too when the hardest-hearted people come to Christ and get saved. Don't be surprised when demon-possessed people get back in their right mind and get free and become the people that God always wanted them to be. Don't be surprised when sick people and emotionally heartache, don't be surprised at all these glorious and wonderful things. But there will be those people, particularly the religious ones, who will say they love God, but when push comes to shove, they will not do the things of God. Rather, they will hurt those people who are models of repentance uh, they're not perfect, but people who repent and who preach the gospel and preach grace. So that's the warning. Now, I thought, all right, I could preach that and then be done. What would be the fun of that? It's only 1040. Right? I mean, you've been trained. So if I, you know, I could say, okay, that's it. That was the text. Or I could find another text that says the same thing. That way I don't have to work too hard, but then I can spend more time talking and we'll all be happy. So if you would go back to the text, there we go. Now we're in Luke 4. So let's notice that Jesus said, this happened to me too. So I just, I'm not going to teach. I have the, almost the whole chapter up there, 14 to 41. I'm not going to teach the whole chapter, but I want you to notice what happens to Jesus when he begins after his baptism, after the temptation to battle the devil, Jesus went through this same thing. I mean, he's not claiming this is going to happen to us when he didn't have the same struggle. Instead, he's this is the struggle he went through. We're going to have it well. And then we end this morning with a question for you about next week. All right, here we go. So, then Jesus, after his baptism and being tempted in the wilderness of the devil, and then ministered to by the angels, the Holy Spirit came upon him, right? Uh, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And news of him went throughout all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. Now, let me just tell you a little cultural thing. They would allow different visiting Jews to speak, or rabbis, but not just rabbis, but other people, to speak and to give a midrash, meaning a short sermon, like a homily, on the particular text that they read in the synagogue on the particular Saturday. But, according to what we know the first century, in the first century, you could only be a member of the synagogue if you were going to read the scripture that day. So it's important because we see here Jesus gets up and reads this text. But he's reading in his home church, his home synagogue. 
And so you get some of the tension that would be there. It's one thing for people to see you far away because they can be more open or more close to you in a certain way. But imagine with all the people that saw him growing up from a boy, there you are and they're hearing him. And so that created certain challenges as well. So he comes to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And as his custom was, now this is interesting. What is your custom? Jesus' custom was to be in church, synagogue, every week. What's your custom? Something to think about. It's funny how many people's custom isn't model Jesus, and then we're not going to see the fruit of Jesus, by the way. Something to think about. All right, that's just kind of a joke to the college kids up here, but I'm just... These are the faithful ones. You always pick on the faithful ones. My son's sleeping someplace. I don't want to you know, get it anywhere. Here we go. All right. But I like teasing these guys, so here we go. All right. Uh, as it was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. Again, had to be a member, almost certainly. He, they, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Now, we know he turned to Isaiah 61, 1 and 2, or 1 to 3 or whatever. But anyway, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Now, this is interesting. It is not clear in the, in the Greek if he turned to this. The way, I mean, you, you translate different ways, but it's not clear if that was the set passage for the day or if, in fact, he turned to it and it was a set pack or he did another one. But it, we think that it was the passage for the day. So by the providence of God, there it was. And Jesus is going to say it because it's just about the inauguration of the Messiah's ministry. He's the Messiah. And he's getting ready to inaugurate his ministry. So here he reads it. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Holy Spirit has come upon me to empower me to do the job that God's given me to do. What is the job? Five parts of the job. All right, there's five types of healing. Are you ready? Notice them. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The first kind of healing is telling people who are sinners that there is forgiveness, that a holy and righteous God loves us, and he has provided for us everything we need to be reconciled to God's holiness, despite the fact that we're so screwed up and messed up and sinful. That there is a love bigger than that. Now, when do we find out how that love is going to work out? We find out on the cross. We find out through a perfect life and through suffering, but on the cross we find the fullness of the extent that God's love was so big he would die for us to close the gap and to bring us into contact with him if we're in repentance and turn to him in faith. All right, so first thing, he has sent me. Second thing, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. In Hebrew, when he's quoting from Isaiah 61, this is to be shattered hearted. People whose hearts have been shattered. Have you ever seen people whose hearts have been broken and then people whose hearts have been shattered? It's hard. It's hard to see people uh, who have really been hurt. Uh, I've been a little hurt. I mean, I don't know. How, who, how can we measure and compare? But I can tell you... Uh, something small. The, I only really had one other girlfriend besides Susie. And uh, Susie, you know, fits me 10 times better, but, but I can never tell you how much my heart was broken for the first time with the girlfriend in front of Susie. I mean, I couldn't eat. I couldn't think. I, I, it, months. It, 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 I just couldn't imagine. I thought, this is what people go through? I was just, and, and, and uh, I knew it wasn't, uh, that it wasn't the personality, I knew it wasn't the right thing. Ultimately, she, just, she was just the first girl that I dated that I knew really loved Jesus, and I knew she was in the right kind of person. Even though she wasn't the right person for me, she was the right kind of person, and it broke my heart. Now, that's just one break there, and I can't imagine, it took me a long time to get over that. And some people, we've been hurt so tremendously, rejected, 
so much heartache, so much pain, uh, endured so much. Jesus says, part of what I've come to do and empowered by the Spirit is, I'm going to restore people to salvation in God. I'm going I'm to reconcile them by the forgiveness of sins. But I'm also going to come in and all those shattered and broken pieces. I'm going to wash them and cleanse them. And by the power of the Spirit, I'm going to put them back together so that people can receive love and not just give love. Third, he says, to reclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. Physical healing. It's going to heal people, people who are in, in all kinds of physical pain and adversity. His presence and power is going to bring healing to the body. And then he says, to set at liberty those who oppress. The ones the demons have all in bondage and are stuck and, and they don't know how to get out of that darkness. He says, when I come, the, the fourth kind of healing is, I'm going to set people free from the bondage of darkness and the devil. Now, the fifth one, years ago, I was reading Francis McNutt. And Francis McNutt, of course, is a hero. And he has a book called The Four Kinds of Healing. And he stops right here. But I was saying to myself, because we were getting into generational healing, the healing of families and destiny. And I'm saying, okay, if generational healing is as big as we think it is, and as big as all the books I'm reading and all the conferences I'm going to, why don't I see it more in the Bible? I mean, I can see, I can go to Galatians, I can go to Ezekiel, I can go, there's a few places, where I, for something this big, it should be at the center and at the heart. So the Lord took me back to read this text and to read Francis McNutt's book, which I had read many times and I've been incredibly benefited by. I mean, Francis McNutt, I mean, when I went to his conferences in the late 90s, I'll never forget him coming into the room and literally before you could see him, you could feel the presence of God. I've I, I only had one other person I've ever been around that when the person came into the room, something changed in the room. Maybe there's lots of people like that, but I've not been around them. I wish one day I'd be like that, but it hasn't happened yet. But anyway, I mean, can you imagine? Literally, I could feel the room change before. I had never seen him before. I wasn't looking. He came in from behind. We, was, we were sitting like a conference like this, and he was coming in from the back. I could feel something different in the room when he came in. I'm reading four kinds of healing. I'm complaining to God, as I am often want to do. And he says, look at the rest of the verse. 19, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And he told me to sort of focus it, so I start looking it up. Oh, the acceptable year of the Lord, it is a technical term. It is a term for the year of Jubilee. So what Jesus is saying, the fifth kind of healing is generational family healing. That part of what Jesus can do, he came to, to save us, to heal our hearts, to heal our bodies, to set us free from the darkness, and to restore us to our family and generational destiny. Now, Francis Millet teaches all about generational healing. He just, for some reason, I don't know how he missed that little piece. His book would, I mean, he could think, he, I think how many books he, he could do if he updated it and called the five kinds of healing instead of the four. I mean, that's a, that would be improvement. He could charge more money. But it is right there. It is right there in the central teaching of Jesus' thesis statement of his life and ministry. There it is, right there. But you just have to know the acceptable year of the Lord isn't just some kind of nice expression. It's a technical term. And when you look it up, it's the year of Jubilee. Every 50 years, families were given the opportunity by God's grace to whatever has happened, whoever's fault it was, whether their own faults and sins or something else bad had happened, whatever happened so they lost their property, their destiny, the things that God had for every 50 years in the economy of the Old Testament, by God's grace, 
Families were given the opportunity to be restored and to set back in the way God always intended. Right there at the end of the book. All right. So, Jesus then closed the book, gave it back to the attendant. Don't you think people would be cheering? Can you imagine if someone came this morning and said, this morning, every person that's overweight, I'm going to pray for you and you'll be in your perfect weight for the rest of your life. You'd be happy, right? Uh, this morning, we're going to pray for you. And, and if you're not at your peak physical condition and strength, I'm going to pray for you. You will no longer have to go to the health club, but you're going to be strong one to do anything about it. Um, every time you need money, I'm going to pray for you this morning. When every time you go to the ATV, the ATV, ATM, there'll be money for you. I mean, wouldn't we all be excited if you believe it? Jesus said all these things, and instead of them being excited, they didn't like him. Because look what he said to them. He said there's a condition, and the condition is the people who recognize they're sinners and want to think God's way and change. Now, it's impossible to change without God's grace, but some people get that, and they're willing to repent and die to themselves, do whatever it takes to go with God. And some people say, nope, I forgive it all I'm going to forgive. I've done all I'm going to do. And, and they put barriers up. Those people miss salvation. Those people miss grace. And look what happens here. These people thought they were great that he was talking to. He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, 20, and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled. All these great things, they're yours right here today. In your healing, you, you've seen it. Now, so all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words. Said, this is really incredible, these things he said. This is amazing. Who would have ever thought that's what Isaiah was talking about? And they said, is not this Joseph's son? That doesn't make sense. He's, just a, he's like one of us. All right, now, Jesus could say, let's make friends, and I'll just say some more nice words. But instead, Jesus has to clarify. Uh, I don't understand all the redemptive gifts. We have a redemptive gift experts in our church. But part of the prophet, I think, is that if, because I'm like, Susie, explain this to me. What's this and what's the gift? Uh, and I, I'm not real smart. I can have a hard time following it. But, but, but the prophet wants holiness, wants to make sure if you're going to know what the right is, you have to also see what isn't the right thing. I had a professor in systematics, Douglas Kelly, at RTS many years ago, and he used to go in, he wasn't a very good artist, but he would go to the board when he would be teaching systematics, and he would draw a picture of a horse. And I don't know how we knew it was a horse, because he wasn't a very good drawer, but unless he'd say, uh, he said, a good teacher tells you, this is a horse, and we'd say, okay, vaguely, I get it, that's a horse, all right. And then he'd say, he'd go to the chalkboard, he'd draw this, and it was vaguely a cow or something, other than, he said, but a great teacher says, this is a horse, and this is not a horse. Okay? Jesus is so concerned about the truth of this thing that he's willing to offend some people to make sure they don't deceive themselves and not get it. Everyone's clapping kind of. But now look what he says, and look how upset they get. He said that in verse 23, you will surely say this proverb to me. I mean, you're all kind of saying nice things right now. But one day I'm going to be on the cross, and you're going to say, physician, heal yourself. Whatever you've heard done in Capernaum, do also here in your country. You're going to say these things to taunt me and to hurt me because, because you're going to be upset. Your hearts aren't really with me, and they're not really with God. 24, then he said, assuredly, I say to you, 
Now this is, you got to understand, the Jews knew they were God's chosen people, and they were. But they thought that the Messiah was going to come from them because they were so great. See, the truth is, God loved the Jews so much because the Messiah was going to come. I mean, the Messiah is the reason God loved the Jews so much. But the Jews thought, we're so great, that's why the Messiah is coming from us. And they were proud. Okay, and that's a heart that God could not advance. All right, and so here they are. And Jesus is telling them that God will reject even the Jews if their hearts aren't right. And then he gives them examples, two major examples, where the worst kind of pagans got it and the Jews didn't get it. So he gives an example from the life of Elijah and he gives an example from the life of Elisha. So look at the story here. And he said, Jesus said, Surely I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And to say, has that ever happened before? He says, let me give you two examples. They're two most famous prophets, Elijah and Elisha. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, which is up with, uh, that's where like Ahab, uh, uh, southern Lebanon, that's where they worshipped uh, uh, Baal, and that's where uh, uh, Ahab and Je- that's where Jezebel had been from. Okay, horrible, horrible people. In fact, she was looking for the whole world to, world to kill Elijah, but he went to Sidon because that's where her father was king, and no one, would, no Jews would even walk into the country. It was so evil, but that's where God sent him to hide him, as well as to rescue the widow at Zarephath. That's what the story is about. So he says, nobody in Israel cared about what Elijah said. But God sent up there, and there was a widow. There's lots of widows in the day, but there was only one widow who would respond properly to the words of God, and she was inside it. I mean, that just drove them crazy. That just like, oh, couldn't stand it. So they're getting mad now. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He, he, he puts the knife in, and he just turns one more. See, we got this idea that sort of Jesus is like the, the sweet eagle scout who, who takes the grandmother across the street. All right? And, and that's just not... Jesus... He, he was righteous and holy, and holy and righteous people, they can offend you because they're so worried about what is true and right and what our best interest is, they're willing to upset us in the short run because they know that compromise won't get us there. And so he's going to tell them now, and it's going to really provoke them. Here we go, 27. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha the prophet. A lot of people need healing, but they weren't open because their hearts weren't full of repentance. And so God didn't heal them. But... In the days of Elisha, he says. And none of them were cleansed except which one? Naaman from the Syrian, right? So this guy from a foreign country of foreign gods, he's the one that God looked and saw his heart, and he's the one who got the healing. Now, they went from kind of saying, isn't that sweet? He's a good teacher. It was a short sermon. You know, short sermon, people like, yeah, okay, it's short. All right? Now, he's gone on, He's not going on. He's insulted them with the truth, and they know it, and they don't like it. They needed it, but they didn't like it. Now, this is actually, we're going to be done. I'm just making reference to two more seconds, but we're done after this. Hold on. Really, trust me. Don't answer your phone. All right. So all in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath. Because they realized that he was saying, just because you're born Jew doesn't guarantee anything. 
It's what your heart is. Now, they could say, well, yeah, but my heart's soft. I want to be right. They didn't, they didn't want to soften their heart and turn to God. No, they wanted to be in the right rather than to get right. And they weren't in the right. So they would rather kill Jesus than to get right with God. So they rose up and thrust him out of the city. Now, you got to remember, he's, he's in a city. That means they got to push him. There's a mob. I can tell you what they did with Wesley. When Wesley would go preach in England, they would take him and they would literally beat him down until he was a small guy, like 5'4 or something. They would beat him down and they literally kicked him from one end of a town to the other until he got outside the town. That's what people did. In fact, they tarred and feathered him. In his own hometown, when Wesley went to preach, the mob was there to beat him and he got up and they were beating him, ran to the graveyard and stood on his father's grave. And the crowd came around him wanting to kill him, but they respected the dead in this sense. They, didn't, they wouldn't bother him as long as he was standing on his father's grave. Can you imagine what they did to Jesus? When it said they thrust him, that's to throw him out with force. It wasn't pretty to have more violence on Jesus on that day. Not only that, it says they took him to the edge of the hill of the city. They were going to throw them over the hill and kill him. And they led him to the, to the brow of the hill of which their city was built, that they might throw him down over the cliff. 30. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. We don't know. Did he become invisible? Did they become blind? We're not sure how it happened. But Jesus was able to escape by the power of God. Miraculously able to escape by the power of God. Now, there's a lot we can say about that. But I want you to see there's two other sections, three sections here. The next section is that Jesus casts out an unclean spirit. Jesus is showing us he had the power over the demons. He then goes in and he shows that Mary's, uh, John Mark, Mark's mother, Peter's mother-in-law, that he had the power to heal her sickness. And then it shows that he had the power of many people with diseases and other problems. He had the power over that. But the one thing that his power couldn't help was people who refused to repent. People who were arrogant and proud and self-righteous, those people Jesus couldn't help. Demons, no problem. Sick, no problem. Diseases, leprosy, no problem. Death, no problem. But a heart that's arrogant and self-righteous, that heart, Jesus will not bargain with. Uh, Jesus will not compromise with. Now, we're coming into Pentecost. What's the punchline for today? We're praying, I hope you're praying, through Lent, through Easter, through the ascension, we're praying, okay, Lord, I'm 53. Lord, I've got to know you better in this year than I knew you last year. I've got to have more clarity of vision. I've got to understand better what you're, what you're asking of me this year. Back when I was going to India, it seemed very clear. I, th I thought I kind of could see the future and tell you, here's the next 20, 30 years of my life. I thought I could tell you this and that, and, and all those things have been pulled out like a rug. And the Lord has direction for me, but I'm asking, Lord, I want to know. And I want to know you better. I need to have more of you. And the Lord keeps telling me that the thing that happens is there has to be room in my heart and in your heart for more of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's no sense saying, Holy Spirit, fill me if we're filled with everything else. If we're filled with everything else, there's all good things, our jobs, school, relationships, food, all kind of stuff we can be filled with. But we can't, it's no sense saying, Holy Spirit, I really got to have more of you. 
if there's no space. He told me years ago, and he's been reminding me, and this week my prayer, Lord, would you give me a grace to be empty? There is no need. God is more than willing to fill us. What he's looking for is some people with a heart of repentance. And he's looking for some people that will make some space and say, whatever you need to take to get out of the way, Lord Jesus, you show me, I'll die to it, but Lord, then we got to have you. And he'll keep his side of the bargain if we'll turn. To, I mean, I don't even know how to get rid of stuff. I mean, when he shows me, all I can say is, okay, Lord, I agree with you. Now do whatever it takes. You got to change my motives. You got to change my appetite. Whatever you got to do, do it, Lord. But I'm telling you, I'm asking for something very special next Sunday and this whole week, but, but in this year. And, and I think there's something we're going to do together this week and the next Sunday, but it's only going to come if we really look at our hearts and say, okay, Lord, where we're self-satisfied and self-righteous and think we got it all figured out, Lord, show us what we need. Show us what's hindering us. Show us in what way are we filled with good things when you want to put great things. And Lord, if there's some bad things, bring your conviction so we can repent. Give us a heart that will meet your qualifications. The one kind of heart that meets the qualification of God is a heart that acknowledges our part and our sin. The self-righteous thing says, you don't know Brent's part. He's terrible. He's a mean golfer. He doesn't care about other people. He'll beat you 10 times in a row. Doesn't have any compassion. That's the kind of guy. It's Brent's fault. See, the self-righteous person points to the wife, points to the husband, points to the kids, points to the parent, points to the boss. The self-righteous person always has a reason to excuse our own sin. That won't work with Jesus ever. The only thing Jesus looked for a heart that says, here's my part, Lord, please forgive me. You'll take care of everybody else, Lord. Come and show me my part. I will turn. As you show me, I will turn from it. Lord, then make space in me because we just got to have more of you. Would you stand? Lord Jesus, we, we really have got to have more of you. Lord, I know I do. And I'm so thankful that we have this family here together that have the same kind of heart's desire that I have and that will be praying for me even as I'm praying for them, uh, not just this week, but this week especially. Lord, would you come and would you reveal to us everything that's making us filled up, that's actually hindering the very thing that we're asking for. We're asking for more of you and and, and yet, Lord, we're, we're, we're busy and filled with a whole bunch of other stuff. And only you know what needs to go and, and even how we could get rid of it. And, uh, Lord, that our motives would change and our heart would change. Only you can do that. But, but Lord, as humbly as we know how, we, we say, Lord, you show us whatever you say, we'll, we'll, we'll agree. Lord, if we have to take ourselves out of the place of we're the right one, the good one, the other one's the bad one. Lord, if we have to change and some things that we really like that other Christians think that's okay, but we just can't be filled with the Spirit and do those things. We can be saved, but we can't be filled with the Spirit. Lord, if there's a deeper level of consecration and holiness. Lord, if our attitudes and our opinions, our politics, whatever it is, everything is yours, Lord. We just have to have more of you. We don't have to be right, Lord. We just have to have you. So, Lord, would you please do, what, do for us what we cannot do for ourselves? You've given us a new nature in Christ. 
in our baptism. You've saved us by your incredible grace through faith. Oh, Lord, would you fill us? We really need more. This, there is more to this life. We've tasted it, Lord, but we want to live there. Oh, we thank you for the appetizers, but we want a main course. We want to learn how to live like this for the rest of our lives and to serve you and to live for your agenda. Lord, we know opposition will surely come to those who model you and speak your words and your love and, and even have enough sense to be quiet. People will still hate us when we're tied to your agenda. But Lord, it's, we're willing to do that. But Lord, make us fit for it. Cleanse, purify. Fill us, we ask, in Jesus' name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven.